Adventures, do do. Sup? <laughs> uh, we're back once again for another episode of Eric's Mediocre Adventures. And this time, well, this time we're uh, doing Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the Ultimate Edition. Dun dun dun. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna. I, I watched. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Sorcerer's Stone, if you nasty. Uh, I watched the extended edition that came with the uh, the ultimate edition, which is really just it's just slightly longer with some deleted scenes put back in and stuff. But yeah, that's that's the plan for today. Uh, there isn't really much news going on, but I'll start with with the random news that we've got uh, today, which is August sixth is the day of recording. If that helps context wise um the official trailer for season two of the boys dropped i haven't watched it yet and i don't know if i'm going to because i don't really want to get spoiled uh for anything like all i know about this season is that the, the kid of oh, spoilers for season one if you haven't watched it uh homelander's kid is going to be involved somehow uh billy butcher gets away from homelander somehow uh, we have a new lady named Stormfront, who's popping in, and she's supposed to be super, super strong. If the, the comments or anything to go off of, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I know about it. But I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to watching that because I enjoyed the first season muchly. Mulan. Disney announced that they're going to be releasing Mulan on Disney Plus, and you pay uh, like a extended fee, and then. Like a thirty, I think you pay like thirty dollars or something. I've heard is what it is. I'm not exactly a hundred percent on it, but you pay and then you it gets added to your Disney Plus like retinue, and you only get Mulan if you if you pay for it with this extra amount, which I think is actually a very good way to do it. I've always felt like if movie theaters are kind of like superfluous and if movie companies wanted to like make it so that you can rent a movie for $30 and you can watch it one time or you have access to it for four hours or something so that you can pause or, or whatever like and you just pay double the price of a movie ticket I personally would do that over going to a movie theater because I don't like going to movie theaters unless there aren't other people there because other people usually detract from the movie in my opinion um like, I complain about the movie a lot, but Dead Men Tell No Tales, the fifth part of the Caribbean movie, I've only seen it once. And I saw it in theaters, and it was a very bad experience in theaters because the people in front of us were constantly talking quite loudly and laughing at parts like that weren't funny. They were just kind of laughing at everything. And, and it was very distracting, and that just made a movie that's probably bad anyways a lot worse. Um, so, like... I would be fine with if that's something that they started doing more, where it's like you pay $30 or whatever, and you get the movie for a limited time initially, and then maybe you get it like fully as like a digital copy later on or something. If they don't want to like initially do, um, like initially have it forever, like short term rentals, or if they you want to have it forever, you buy it for like 60 or something. Because then they still make their money back, I think. Like, 
I think a lot of people would do it, and and movie theaters would still make their money back because, like, if a family goes to a movie, just tickets alone, family of four, it's like sixty bucks. So I think they would pay the thirty, to get Mulan. I think most people would. Uh, yeah, it's kind of rambly, I guess, but that's um. Really the only news I've seen like Ryan Reynolds has hinted that he might be in the Snyder Cut of Justice League as Green Lantern in some form or that he'd be open to it I don't really know what, what it means I also don't really care I'm not getting my hopes up about the Snyder Cut uh, I enjoyed Justice League well enough I thought it was a fine movie and I'm sure the Snyder Cut will still be a fine movie I don't think it's going to make it into, into some kind of masterpiece so not really going to focus on that so yeah, I guess what we'll do now is we will just hop right into the discussion of Philosopher's Stone. So, this movie uh, was the first of two directed by Christopher Columbus, the director of Home Alone and, and some other stuff, Gremlins, I think. Uh, it was released in November 2001. It got a box office of $978 million on the old tomato site. It has a 81% positive score with an average rating of 7 out of 10, and then the audience score is 82% for those of you who care about what Rotten Tomatoes say. Uh, there were a decent amount of the bigger name critics at the time kind of shat on it. They, were, they, they said it was like a boring or uh, taste, not tasteless, um, charismaless adaptation or so. And I only read a couple of them, and I was like, this, this isn't right. Um, <laughs> But it was nominated for three Academy Awards, uh, two of which I think they should have won, and the person who won them that year was Moulin Rouge. But that's just my opinion. I think I think they should have won in those categories over Moulin Rouge. But that, again, that's just me. Um, so my history with this movie is that I went to see it when it came out, mostly not in the know about Harry Potter. I had read Chamber of Secrets because... I don't really know why he did this, but for some reason my uncle gave my brother Philosopher's Stone as a gift and gave me Chamber of Secrets as a gift. So I had Chamber of Secrets, the one I had, and I read it. And I really never realized that, that there was a book that came before Chamber of Secrets because I was six. So I was just like, I got this book. I barely knew how to read, so I, I read it. <laughs> anyway... Uh, in 2001, I was invited to a birthday party. Uh, we were living in Brazil at the time, and it might have even been 2002 at that point in Brazil. Who cares? Anyways, we went to go see Harry Potter as part of the birthday party, a uh, bunch of us. And I was instantly hooked. I went home. I found out that my brother had this first book. I took it. <laughs> I still have it. Like, it's mine now. It's on my bookshelf. Uh, I read it, devoured it. And then I went back to see the movie two more times. Uh, movies were hella cheap in Brazil. It was like four bucks. So just like with my like weekly allowance, I could go to two movies at least. So I went there twice. And I remember one of the one of the times I just, there was no one else in the theater except us. So I just put up all the armchairs, like all the armrests and some of the chairs and just laid down and watched it. Good time. Uh, and then I went to the school library. We went to a school called uh, Escola Americana do Brasil. EAB, the American School of Brasilia, uh, and I went to the library, and I got books three and four, because they were out at that point, 
uh, and I rented them or whatever you do from the library and I read those and, and the rest is history as they say uh, but the first movie is the only one I guess that I had seen before reading the book I had read a Harry Potter book before going to see the movie just not the relevant book to the movie um, <laughs> so yeah uh, the extended edition is what I watched it, come, it came with the ultimate edition which is like a four disc set with a bunch of special features and stuff uh, this extended edition pretty much just has some small extra scenes interspaced throughout uh, mainly on the front end but m mostly the cuts the same I haven't reread the books in a while so I'm going to be kind of comparing them off of memory but at the same time I've read each book no exaggeration here uh, at least 10 times every single one so <laughs> I'll do my best uh, to remember for comparison's sake between the books and the movies um, yeah and I'm gonna try a kind of different method to this one I, I keep saying that in every one but I mean I'm doing something different this time where I am going to kind of say what is happening chronologically and then at, at the points where I'm commenting and stuff I'll comment but I'm gonna kinda try to create the chronological line throughout by actually giving a little bit of the plot details if that is okay with everyone so the movie begins and it's nighttime and we're on Privet Drive and it's the uh, the scene of Harry getting dropped off at his aunt and uncles it is mostly accurate to the book except it leaves out a lot of detail like uh, and a lot of like world building stuff we learn a lot more about the wizarding world of the book we learn about Sirius Black uh, that it's his motorcycle that Hagrid borrowed to bring Harry there uh, that Dumbledore has a uh, cool scar on his knee of the London Underground and stuff like that we learn like a lot more and, and this is also not how the book starts the book starts with Vernon going to work and it's like a day in his life as he witnesses weird stuff going on and it, we later learn it's people celebrating uh, Voldemort being killed so he sees like wizards in the streets celebrating and like fireworks and, and stuff but in this scene uh, we meet Richard Harris who plays Albus Dumbledore we meet uh, Dame Maggie Smith who plays Professor McGonagall and we meet Robbie Coltrane who is playing Hagrid all three of these people in my opinion are, are perfectly cast uh, Richard Harris is exactly how I picture Dumbledore when I read the books, uh, which is which for me is, I think someone can be a good cast of a character, and they might, but they might not look how I picture them in the books, which is, which is fine. But when I like, I guess when I say it's how I picture someone in the books, I think that's, like the best. That's like the highest compliment, I guess, or it's they they fit the best for me, I suppose. So that's, when I compare people, that's usually what I focus on. Uh, all, like, I talk about, like, their performance, but then also how I, how I view them in lieu with, of the, uh, in lieu of the book character. Which, you know, nerd, but, you know, whatever. It's what I do. <laughs> so yeah, Richard Harris is, uh, is how I picture Dumbledore for all seven books. It's not to say I don't like Michael Gambon's performance, but, uh, that Dumbledore, I think, feels more like his own kind of character. It's like he, they're like, 
here you take this these are the, like the broad points but make it your own uh so he's like he's like a more of a separate world like an alternate universe Dumbledore rather than an embodiment of the book character which I think Richard Harris is and that Jude Law's Dumbledore for as little as we see him uh, I think he seems more like Harris than Gambin like you, I would expect if when he gets older to, to be like Richard Harris not that the ages will line up at all based on, on how young he is in Fantastic Beasts but anyways, yeah, that and, and that might just be me who sees that. Yeah, so Maggie Smith is uh, great as McGonagall as well. Uh, I think she's portrayed as being quite a bit older than Professor McGonagall is in the books, if I remember correctly, because I think McGonagall in the books uh, at least still looks quite young. She has black hair, and she's, she's just described as being stern with glasses, but she's like, I think she's just not, she's not older by any means uh, but again Maggie Smith is how I picture McGonagall when I read now for the most part which is all you can really ask for uh, Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid is incredible uh, nail on the head there uh, I only wish we saw more of him in the films you get a lot more of Hagrid in, in all of the books and you get a very like nice relationship with him and Harry that you don't really see in the movies because Hagrid's kind of there as comic relief and random bit appearances to move along the plot in the movies. And then we get the dope score as Harry's dropped off, and we get the title card! And then bam, we meet Daniel Radcliffe, aka Harry Potter. Excellently cast, and an actor I still love to this day. He looks exactly how I picture Harry in this first film, minus the eyes, uh, they're blue, not green, which is what I will, which is something I'll discuss later because it's brought up in the special features, which I also watched and took notes on. And uh, we meet the Dursleys, uh, also excellently casted. Um, I never realized that Dudley was blonde in the books, even though I read them and it says it, uh, until I got some trading cards, I think, in the early 2000s. And on one of the trading cards, he was blonde, but uh, I picture. When I read the books, I picture Dudley at how he is in the movie. Uh, same with Aunt Petunia, who in the books is blonde. I picture her, uh, how she looks in the movie. I can't remember the actress's name off the top of my head. And I didn't take a note on it for some reason. But I will say, uh, as much as I enjoy Richard Griffith's performance, and I think he's very good in the role, uh, he's not how I picture Vernon. I've always pictured uh, Vernon as someone kind of like physically imposing and scary. And uh, Richard Griffiths has never really seen that threatening to me. He's always more kind of like bumbly and blustering. So it's, it doesn't really fit. And like when I, it's just not really how I picture Vernon, but I still very much enjoy how he plays it. So we see Harry's home life a bit. You know, he lives in a cupboard, which is not hype. Uh, he has to cook for them and stuff. Dudley spoiled. Harry is not. Uh, and then we go to a zoo, and we get the snake scene, which is quite different from it is in the books. Uh, in the books, first off, Dudley's friend Piers Polkis goes with them. He's not there in the movie. Uh, second, on the way to the zoo, Harry talks about having a dream about a flying motorcycle. Uh, 
we don't get to see them go to the zoo. They're just at the zoo in the movie. Uh, in the book, they play it off like the first chapter or so where Harry gets dropped off is a dream that he had actually had, and then he wakes up from that dream of being dropped off and, you know, flying motorcycle dream. And then the third difference is uh, the actual scene with the snake is quite different. As in the movie, it's more of a conversation. Well, no, in the movie, it's more of a, like, he points at stuff. In the book, it's more of a conversation, like a back-and-forth communication kind of deal But I think the snake actually speaks more in the movie. Like, he says more lines in the movie than he does in the book. But this is one of those scenes where I, I, I get why it was cut. Uh, down and, and condensed because uh, a lot of the stuff they add on is mostly irrelevant. Uh, Piers is ultimately unnecessary as he's barely mentioned in this book and any others. Uh, we know the flying motorcycle wasn't a dream because we saw it happen so we don't need that part of it and we already know the Durst is a cruel which is what a lot of this scene uh, was supposed to make out so that's already come across. So it makes sense why it was cut. But yet I noted that like we're not even eight minutes into the movie and we're already done at least two chapters, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, so yeah, Harry accidentally vanishes the glass in front of the snake with some accidental magic. Snake escapes, Dudley gets stuck. Harry gets punished. <laughs> and then we get our first added scene here. So in the movie, I think after this, it skips right to Harry going to get the, the mail. Uh, and that's when he gets his Hogwarts letter, letter, but we get an added scene here of Dudley. Uh, he's modeling his smeltings uniform, which is the school he's going to, and Harry being told that he's going to Stonewall High. Uh, this isn't named in the movie, but it's named in the book, so I know what school he's going to. And Petunia is dyeing his uh, uniform gray, and his uniform is just bits of Dudley's old clothes. And uh, we get our first scene of Sassy Harry, as he essentially calls Dudley a fat elephant. Uh, Sassy Harry is a, is a friend of the internet. People love Sassy Harry. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we, we go on to Harry being told to get the mail. Uh, he goes and he gets the mail, and his Hogwarts letter there, is there, uh, addressed to his cupboard, which is like Hogwarts. Work on that, like, <laughs> be better. Like, you actually pay attention to a letter that says it's going to a kid in a cupboard maybe you know fix that uh but after that letter arrives in the book harry is given dudley's second bedroom yeah dudley has two bedrooms uh because the Dursleys are worried that the magical people now know about the cupboard because it's been addressed to the cupboard uh, we don't know in the movies that harry gets a bedroom until chamber of secrets where it starts and he has a bedroom but yeah, in the book, this is, it was again to show, it showed a few things. It showed how cruel the Dursleys were because they have four bedrooms in their house, yet Harry's still in the cupboard. And it shows how much they care about like their reputation and stuff and how much they're afraid of magic because they give him, this is what forces them to give him a bedroom because they're afraid people know about the, the cupboard. And we get our next added scene during the uh, stuff the funny montage of all the letters trying to get to Harry. Um, Petunia's making breakfast and she's cracking some eggs and inside each egg is a Hogwarts letter like rolled up and she's taking that and it's funny. Uh, it's one of those scenes where like it's funny and it's like you get to see some 
silly magic stuff, but it's also ultimately pointless, so you can kind of get why it was cut as well. Uh, but yeah, there's some more differences here between this part of the book and this part of the movie. Uh, when they ultimately go to the island or wherever they are hiding from, from the wizards after the uh, letter storm. Which, like, let me just note, uh, Harry's an idiot. <laughs> Those letters are shooting out and he's trying to grab them from the air when there's dozens on the ground that he could just start grabbing them and stuffing them down his pants. And, like, then he'd have some letters. But the, the differences between, between this part of going to the island is we just see them say, we're going away far away, then they're on the island. Uh, in the book, they, there's more to it, but it's not really anything important. It's mostly minor stuff. So I'm not really going to mention it beyond stating that there are some differences and it's a little more fleshed out. So at this part of the movie, we get Hagrid uh, coming to get Harry, and it's very well done and, and mostly the same as it is in the book, like at least all the same required bits of information come across. Uh, the main difference in the book that I can think of is that Hagrid stays the night at the place and then him and Harry leave in the morning and Harry learns a little bit about the wizarding world during this encounter. But uh, <laughs> one thing I know still like when I watch this movie, uh, Harry takes the information incredibly well and like super calmly. He doesn't even freak out when Dudley gets a tail or anything. He's just like, cool. And uh, Dudley's tail, because he gets a tail from Hagrid, uh, is more focused on in the book. Not overly so, but like, the consequences of it continue after this part, which in the movie it doesn't. Anyway, we get another added scene here. Uh, Hagrid and Harry are on a train going to wherever the Leaky Cauldron is, at Charing Cross Road or whatever, in downtown London. And uh, Hagrid tells Harry how much he wants a dragon and that they're misunderstood beasts and all that. Uh, I don't know why this scene was cut. It's short and it's good and it links up to the part of the movie that comes, like the actual part of the theatrical cut that comes next where Harry's reading bits of his letter because he starts reading his letter in this scene and then it cuts to him reading the rest of it on the before they go into the pub but yeah really I really don't know why it was cut uh, it's a very good scene and it should have been included Diagon Alley uh, everything in there for the most part is the same except in the book um, Harry meets Draco in Madame Malkin's robe shop it's, so all they did for the movie was they took pretty much everything that happened no, that's later, so excuse me. No, uh, but yeah, Harry meets Draco and Madame Malkins in the book. He doesn't introduce himself, and Draco doesn't introduce himself, but you know it's Draco because of later. Uh, and the stuff at Ollivander's is shortened a wee bit, as Harry's in there a fair bit longer in the book because he tries a lot more wands. Uh, but for the most part, the only really differences are there's some more world building and, and missing dialogue between characters to set up, like relationships and stuff that isn't there, which normally isn't in adaptations. So it makes sense as to why it was cut down. However, we do meet some somewhat important characters here. We meet Griphook, who is played by Vern Troyer in this film. Uh, he's played by Warwick Davis in later films, mainly uh, The Deathly Hallows Part 1 and and part two 
and we meet uh, Professor Quirrell, who is so obviously a bad guy, like from the first meeting with him in the movie, like it's super clear. Uh, the only difference I remember in these meetings is in the book, uh, Harry actually shakes his hand, and in the movie, Quirrell avoids touching him. So uh, either Quirrell got hurt in the book scene or Voldemort wasn't there yet. Not really clear in my memory if anything like that happens. Uh, I really enjoyed Quirrell's performance in the movie, though, mainly at the end once he drops the stuttering facade and he's just kind of like, he is actually somewhat menacing even before you know Voldemort's on the back of his head, which is neat. We also see the first character played by Warwick Davis in this movie, uh, as he is the bank teller who asks for the keys, but he also plays uh, Professor Flitwick, who we meet a little bit later. And I just want to comment on the scene at Ollivander's where Harry gets his wand. Uh, I think it's really cool in Ollivander's entrance is dope, where he like slides in on a ladder. Very cool. Though I, I, it's not really relevant to the movie, but I wonder how wand making works. Like, and if he just throws random stuff together over and over, so he has like a bunch of wands that no one ever gets, because it's like, do you have? like dragon heartstring in every different kind of wood of different sizes and stuff or like do you have weird visions as to what to do do certain wands have a better like vibe check and you know those are the ones to make i don't know uh fun fact though the wand harry gets here in this scene is not the same one that he has in all of the movies uh he only has this wand for this movie in chamber of secrets and then he gets a different one for the other five movies because uh, Alfonso Cuaron, who is the director of Prisoner of Azkaban, let the main trio, and I'm assuming other people too, mainly the new trio, uh, pick new wands during Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, ones that they felt fit them better at that point, which is, if you go to like Wizarding World or buy a replica wand of Harry's, you get the one that he has from movie three on. Uh, which is the one that has like a tree trunk like bottom and stuff Anyway, I love this scene. Uh, I think it sets up the prophesized battle very early and quite well uh, Through the brother wands like without being overt like they make they just Tell you you're gonna have to deal with Voldemort <laughs> Good luck friend um, <laughs> But yeah, we get the first look here as well when Hagrid's telling uh, Harry the story about what happened uh, at a pet peeve of mine throughout these films. And it might be a little irrational, but it is a pet peeve of mine. Um, Harry's parents were cast entirely too old, in my opinion. Uh, both of them, character-wise, would have been 20 year, 21 years old when they died, if I remember correctly. Because I think James was born in 1960 and Lily was born in late 59. But anyways, they would have been 21. In the movies, they always look like they're in their late 30s to early 40s. It's a small thing, but it bugs me. Like, it's the same with Sirius Ramis and Snape. Although they're all excellently cast, and they're wonderfully portrayed, they are not how I picture the characters, except for Ramis, who, like, I, I, I do picture him looking a lot like David Thewlis. Uh, but, like, when I, when I read it, and I'm reading about Sirius, I picture him how he's described. 
like where he he lo probably looks a little bit older because he was in prison for 13 years but i do not picture him as old as, as gary oldman was at the time because he wouldn't be he'd be in his mid-30s as would snape as would remus and you could argue that like tough times and war prematurely aged them but i i i don't really like that i think that yeah it's a bit of a rant and it's it's like a minor complaint because it doesn't really detract from the movie at all for me i just don't like it <laughs> I, I like i wish they were all younger uh younger cats but that's just me like i guess i don't wish that because i wouldn't want them replaced because i love gary oldman's series and i love alan rickman and snape i think they're great and i and i don't <laughs> it's weird pet peeve i'll move on <laughs> so we head to uh king's cross next and we meet the weasleys at this part of the movie uh this is a pretty big divergent divergence from the book i think uh because in the book, we see Harry go back to the Dursleys for a month after the shopping. Uh, and here we, like, he reads his book. He names Hedwig. He, like, looks at a bunch of wizard stuff. Uh, the Dursleys are trying to deal with Dudley's tail and getting it removed. And the Dursleys drive Harry to King's Cross instead of him getting brought there by Hagrid. Um, I, I get why for, like purposes of just speeding along in the movie they cut it but it's it's just a difference and i thought i'd mention it so yeah the weasleys uh the weasleys are all well cast and i enjoy their performances in all of the movies uh the only one that i don't really picture as like how they're cast is i don't picture Donald gleason as bill when i read the books i think bill's like a much cooler looking like big tall guy not to say that Donald Gleason's not cool but he's just not Bill cool and I don't really picture Bonnie as Ginny uh in my mind when I read the books though I like though I like her performances in the movies and I think it's all well and good um it's just not how I see it in my mind which you know it's not really relevant and it's just one person's opinion but it's my podcast so I'm gonna bring it up <laughs> and I'll admit, too, that I am not the biggest fan of Ron as a character. Um, I think reading too much fan fiction and stuff is, is, is pretty much ruined him for me. Like, I, I never loved him to begin with, but I, I just over time, I stopped. I started liking him less and less. Uh, but I think Rupert Great portrays him very well, and I don't imagine anyone else is Ron. Like, he is Ron in my brain. Though Book Ron, I think, looks a little stupider, but for the most part, he's Ron. Uh, <laughs> so we're on the train now. Uh, Harry gets through platform nine three quarters, and Ron comes and sits with them. And they introduce each other, blah, blah, blah. Uh, fun fact, I used to be able to quote this movie entirely, but I lost most of it. And up to a few years ago, I was able to do until the candy scene on the train. So, like, at this point in the movie, I could do till before I started messing it up and I could do most of after but precisely I could do up until that point I doubt I could even go that far anymore but that's a fun fact about me and my obsessive personality we also are introduced to Hermione being all bossy and I love it uh, 
Emma Watson is exactly how I picture Hermione, especially in these early two movies. Uh, the Emma Watson becomes much more put together and less frizzy than how I picture Hermione in like later years. But um, perfect casting again. Uh, my Emma Watson crush, which I'm sure many people had, uh, began with Chamber of Secrets and continues to this day. And uh, another fun fact, she's the only uh, one of the main trio that I have an autograph from. Uh, I had an opportunity to get Rupert Grintz, but his lines were entirely too big, and I just didn't have enough money left at the time a few years ago. He was at Fan Expo when I was there. Uh, but I did get a picture of him, uh, which is enough for now, and I got Tom Felton and the Weasley twins, which is cool. But yeah, Emma Watson's the only one I have of the main trio, um, which I really like. And I hope to get the other two someday, mainly, mainly Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, Hermione's wand is also my second favorite of the seven that I own, seven wands that I own. Uh, my favorite is Sirius's and then Hermione's. I think it's really cool. Uh, I guess it would be the one she gets after the third movie, not the one she has in this movie. But yeah. The stuff on the train is mostly the same, except in the book we meet Neville on the train. Uh, we meet Fred and George on the train. And we have a tussle slash fight scene with Draco and Crab and Goyle, who we meet on the train. Uh, the conversation they have in the book is mostly just moved to the entrance hall in the movie. We see it there when he introduces himself before they get sorted. Excuse me. And it's mostly the same. But like I said, in the book, there's a bit of a fight that ends with Scabbers biting either Crab or Goyle. I can't remember which one it is. Not that it's really important. Um, also, like, how does Draco not realize that he's such a douche? Like, I know some people are actually like this, but it it always remains hard to believe that someone can act like this and not realize that they suck. <laughs> but Harry uh, sasses Draco again here, and then they're brought in for the sorting. Uh, no ghosts here uh in the book the the kids see the ghosts and they're talking about letting peeves come to the entrance feast uh but in the movie we see them after the sorting they all pop out and blah, 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 blah. not really a change that matters especially since peeves isn't in the movie at all which some people are really upset about i don't really care i don't really care that much about peeves uh anyway we get to the sorting and another pet peeve of this movie, why is the sorting not in alphabetical order? It's just all willy-nilly and I hate it. Like I get that they wanted to only show the important characters being sorted, but like just do all of it, sort everyone, or do like a montage thing where you're actually doing it properly and you're just showing like all these kids getting sorted in the random hat going Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, Slytherin, and then you can stop the montage a bit for the characters that we know. Just, you know, it's, it's another option, because it's just weird. Uh, but while watching it this time, I thought maybe they were doing it by age, because uh, Hermione goes first, and she turns 12, like, a week after sorting. I think, like, September 12th is her birthday or something like that. September 9th, maybe. I don't remember. But it's early. Uh, but they weren't as Ron as older than Draco, but Draco goes before Ron, so 
Yeah. Uh, one question I had too, if anyone knows, feel free to let me know. The like the hat in the movie, his lips move and he's talking. Is that a just a physical way they wanted to show that a conversation was happening? But nobody else can actually hear it because like the, the it's supposed to be like in the person's mind when they got the hat on, or can everyone hear what they're saying? Therefore, does everyone know that Harry was supposed to go to Slytherin, but he decided to go to Gryffindor? You know, do people know that? I don't know. Also, another fun fact: uh, the seating order gets messed up. So when Harry gets sorted, he goes and he sits beside Ron, and he's across from Hermione. So Hermione's on the other side of the table. And Hermione is beside Percy. Later in the same scene, they cut once Harry gets sorted, and then the food comes and all that, and then everyone starts eating. And Harry is on the other side of the table. He is in Hermione's spot beside Percy, and then Hermione's on his other side, and Ron is across from him. It's a weird continuity thing. I don't know why that happened. Also, meet the ghosts. As I said, they all come out. And uh, the line about nearly headless Nick is taken from Seamus, I think, who says it in the book. And it's given to Hermione. I'm assuming this is a pay thing. Like they, the less lines they give to random, like minor characters, the less they have to pay the actors. I don't know. I don't know why else that would be changed. But it's kind of like the same thing in Lord of the Rings, where like in the book, I think it's Mary who figures out the riddle to get into Moria, but in the movie, they just give it to Frodo. Yeah. So we get the feast, Harry scar hurts, when he looks at Snape, he asks who Snape is, blah blah blah, uh, all that fun stuff, and then we leave the entrance hall to go to the Gryffindor Tower, and weird thing here, Ron makes a statement uh, that the pictures are moving, like as they're on their way to the common room, but he would know that, like he's from the Wizarding World, all the pictures move, it's not a Hogwarts exclusive thing, so I don't know why they did that, uh, and I don't like it. But we get to Gryffindor Tower, and as it is shown to us, it confuses me. Uh, because the instructions that Percy gives implies that they're the only ones who sleep, like where he's telling them to go. But then where does everyone else sleep? Like, as I understand it, there's... You go up to the dorm, and then there's multiple floors for the different years. But he doesn't explain it that way. He just says, go up the stairs, and you find your dorm on the right and the girls on the left or whatever I don't know who cares that's, that's not important it's just how my brain thinks and we go to our first class which is Transfiguration and we get to see McGonagall's Animagus Transfiguration from a cat to a human we saw it earlier in the movie but not as like clearly because it's just her shadow but we see it full blown he's here and it's still an effect that looks great to this day I can't remember if this is how the book goes. Uh, like if they start with Transfiguration and she does her transformation and stuff, I don't, I honestly don't remember. Uh, but we go to potions. Next, and we get the first speaking role or part, I guess, for the awesome Alan Rickman as Severus Snape. It is my honest belief that if Snape was played by anybody else, I don't think people would like him because if you go and you just read the books, Snape is incredibly unlikable and it just turns out that he was, he did some okay stuff at the end to help, but he still sucked. 
And I think the only reason people like Snape so much is because of Alan Rickman. That's that. My opinion, but I think I think it's true. Uh, also, since when is taking notes not paying attention? Like, Harry's clearly paying attention because he's taking notes of exactly what you're saying. You're just being a butthole. But we do get our flower language stuff, uh, which sounds awesome in the lovely Alan Rickman voice, which I, I don't know. I can't remember if, if the uh, JK ever said that this was true or not, but, like, the whole thing he's saying there is that he bitterly regrets Lily's death and the questions that he asks Harry. It's what like he gets across. I don't know if that's true. If someone just read that into what was being said, but I like it. I like to pretend that that's true. Uh, and we also get an added scene, another one for the extended edition, where Harry sasses Snape. He says that uh, Hermione clearly knows all the answers and that he should ask her. Uh, Snape strolls over and he sits in front of Harry on a stool, gets right up in his face, and tells him all the answers to the questions that he asked. Uh, then he becomes a hypocrite by saying that they should all be taking notes. And then he takes points from Gryffindor for Harry's cheek. It shouldn't have been removed. It's a great scene. I don't. I, I honestly don't know why they cut it. It's weird. And we move along from here. And uh, can I just say I kind of hate Seamus. It's a bit random. I'm assuming this is at the point of the movie where he's doing his eye of rabbit. Uh, I don't even know what he says, but he's trying to turn water into rum. I hate him. He's incredibly annoying in this movie, and I think he's annoying in pretty much every movie. And he's practically non-existent in the books. Like, he's there, but he's not relevant. I just don't like him. Uh, and we get a difference here uh, in the male scene that happens. Uh, Hedwig brings Harry a note from Hagrid, inviting him to tea. And Ron goes with him, and that's how he learns about the break-in, because there's a newspaper at, Her at Hagrid's uh, in the movie... I think Ron just gets the newspaper and Harry sees it. Also, I'm sure everyone knows this uh, by this point, but Neville, when he gets the remember all and it gets smoky, and, and he's like, I don't remember what I've forgotten. He forgot his robes. He's not wearing his robes. That's it. You're welcome if you didn't know, but like I said, I'm sure everyone knows at this point what that was. And uh, then we move on to flying class. Uh, the only difference in this scene really is that Harry catches it different, which is a weird thing to remember, which is I remember it. In the book, uh, Draco throws the Rembrandt and then he just kind of does a steep dive and then and then gets it by like pulling up in time. Uh, and in the movie, he does like a fancy twirl, like elaborate twirl catch. Uh, in the book, also he thinks McGonagall is going to beat him with some wood because she just goes and randomly asks for some wood. Uh, obviously, she's asking for the uh, Oliver wood, but... Harry for a minute thinks that she's going to beat him with a stick. And does anyone else think Madame Hooch looks just like Zack and Cody's mom from Sweet Life? Like, it's it's an uncanny resemblance. At this point in the movie, I made a note that uh, I re I like I realized how many characters in the movie aren't actually introduced. Someone just says their name once, and then you're expected to know them. So it happens with Percy, it happens with Seamus, it happens with Neville, and it happens with Fred and George. And that's just to this point in the movie. No one actually introduces them. They just come into a scene and someone says their name. Like, uh, Harry's sitting at dinner, and he says, Percy, who's that? Because he's trying to find out who Snape is. Or Fred and George walk over to congratulate Harry for getting on the team and says, Ron, Ron says, uh, Fred and George are on the team too, beaters. 
that's it you don't actually like no one gets introduced the only person who gets introduced is fluffy fluffy gets introduced haggard introduces him and Hermione takes Harry to the trophy room and says, look, your dad played Quidditch too, but the movie got it wrong. Uh, James Potter was a chaser. He was not a seeker. Get that right, movie. Fix that. Uh, I really like the nice little uh, Quidditch introduction scene we get where Wood tells him how to play. It sums up the odd game very well, so I think when you watch the scenes, you get what's happening. And it does not hurt that Sean Biggerstaff has an excellent accent. It's a very good accent. Yeah, though, we move on to the Charms class scene where we meet Professor Flitwick. Uh, Hermione shows everyone up and Seamus continues to look like an idiot. And uh, Flitwick in the book falls off a stack of books. I think that's funny, so I wanted to mention it. He doesn't do that in the movie, but I thought it was funny in the book. Uh, at this point in the movie, I also realized how little magic we actually see in this movie. Like, there's a decent amount of magical stuff going on around you, like magic-based things, but there's very little actual magic. Uh, but we get Ron insults Hermione. Hermione goes running away crying, then they go to Halloween feast. Krill runs in, troll in the dungeons, and he passes out like a pro. Harry convinces uh, Ron they have to go save Hermione. Because she doesn't know about the troll. Troll attacks Hermione. I don't know why Hermione doesn't just run away. She just kind of cowers in the corner and hides. Even when they're like, come on, Hermione, let's leave. She's just like, no, I'm good over here. <laughs> anyway, uh, the troll scene doesn't look that bad. Like, it's not great CGI-wise, CGI but it holds up for the most part. Like, it still looks good. And there's still worse movies that come up now like that look worse. So... Uh, I think it's kind of akin to the effects in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Like, where you can clearly tell when you see Harry on the troll's back uh, that it's animated, but it still looks fine. Like, even just, it's, uh, I compare it to the scene in the first Spider-Man movie, after Uncle Ben has killed spoilers, uh, where he's running down, like, the hallway, and then he pulls the mask on, like, where that's, like, clearly CGI, but it still looks mostly fine. And to this day, I still don't understand why Hermione lies to the professors. Just say you weren't at the feast, and then the boys came to save you. Then you would have gotten ten points instead of just five because of the five that she lost. Even though ten is still too low, like she doesn't have to lie like I get that she's they're trying to get across that she's lying so that she doesn't get Ron in trouble for making her cry and sending her to the bathroom but she could have still said that she just wasn't at the feast but whatever uh, the way that movie did their relationship too I think like watching it this time I noticed uh, you would never know that they weren't friends before this like she's always around uh, she's usually sitting with them at like dinner and stuff when Harry talks about the break-in, he talks to both of them. Like, as far as you could tell from the movie, they were friends, they seemed to get along, then Ron was a dickhead, and then they're friends still. Uh, in the book, it was clear that they were not friends before this, and then the troll thing secured their friendship. It's what like made them friends and made it all tight and stuff. 
Also, in the book, uh, Harry gets the Nimbus 2000 well before this part of the movie, and it's before Halloween. I think it's an odd choice in the movie to give it to him the day of the game. Like, for McGonagall, like, in the world, like, in that world sense of it, it would be dumb, because now she's just giving him a, a somewhat professional broom on the day of the game where he has no time to get used to it or practice on it it's stupid like that's almost guaranteeing you lose it's like if you had someone in a race like a car race practicing one car then you gave him a completely different car that was manual instead of automatic and then expect them to still go win the race it's like mm, that's, not, that's not how that works anyways we get the quidditch game uh it's a fun scene. I like seeing the game, and I'm sad that we see so little of it in subsequent movies. But again, it's pretty dated. Like it's it's mostly still fine, but it's very cartoony looking at points. Uh, one point especially is when the Slytherin keeper gets scored on, and she does like an angry punch in the air. You can clearly tell that's a cartoon person. Like <laughs> it's not a real person. Also, Harry is just straight up sitting still and watching the game instead of searching for the snitch it's like <laughs> like do your job harry uh we also get a change here from the books to the movie uh in the books dumbledore was not at the first game he was not at this uh griffin of southern game which is why quirrell felt brave enough to try and curse harry's broom uh which is you know what makes him all shaky and another difference is filch for some reason is supporting slytherin in the movie but in the books, he hates all of the kids, and he just would never go to a game, likely. Uh, but yeah, D Dumbledore is not there in the f in the first game of the book because if Harry was getting cursed, he would have just stopped it because he's Dumbledore. <laughs> uh, other scenes that took place in the book that were removed before this uh, is Harry gets the Quidditch Across the Ages book. I think that's what it's called. From the library, uh, Snape confiscates it and takes it to the staff room. And Harry goes to get it and sees Snape's leg all messed up. And uh, also in the book, Hermione invents like a spell. Or she just figures out how to use it. I'm still not super clear on that. But she makes bluebell flames. Which in the book is what she uses to light Snape on fire. It's like you see where she learned that. I think in the movie it was what, Lacarum Inflamare or something like that. Anyway, uh, and a random thing that just occurred to me at this point in the movie, and I just I wanted to note it and talk about it, is I think Neville in the books is also blonde, if I'm remembering correctly. So it seems like they took everyone who's blonde and made them brunette for the most part, except the Malfoys. Uh, and I also wanted to note, this is just for my own like attention, continuity's sake, that Gryffindor in this movie is the third table so they're the middle on the right in the entrance hall and I just wanted to note that so I can see if it is consistent in the other movies I don't think it is because I'm pretty sure in Goblet of Fire they are the second table so the middle left but we uh, get to Christmas Hermione leaves and Harry and Ron are staying uh, Harry gets some dope presents and his invisibility cloak but they do cut out a lot of Harry bonding with all the Weasleys over Christmas. Like, he spends the, the Christmas with all of them. Uh, and we just see him with Ron in the movie. 
which it's this point where I realized like how little Percy is actually in this movie. Like, there's I I get why in later movies people don't know who he is, because he's just not present in the movies, or if he's present, most people just don't know who he is because he's never actually introduced. Yeah. I do like, though, that they keep in the part about uh, Ron's mom sending Harry a sweater because I think that's touching and it was nice in the book, so I'm glad they kept that in the movie. Uh, and uh, the invisibility cloak in this movie just looks like a blanket. Like, there's no hood or anything. Like, it's not cloaky. It's just a blanket. <laughs> Still cool, though. Anyway, uh, moving on to the Mirror of Erised scene. Uh, I think it's it's very good. A lot of the right emotions and stuff come across, but the scenes are slightly different. So in the book, Harry sees his whole extended family in the mirrors. He doesn't just see his parents, uh, his two old parents. But he sees like his parents, his grandparents, cousins and stuff like back and and everything but everything else is mostly the same except uh, when Dumbledore comes across him uh, he asks Dumbledore what he saw in the mirror which uh, Dumbledore says he sees someone giving him thick woolen socks and I read a nice fan theory bit of a aside but uh, I read a nice fan theory that was that said that he was telling the truth there that he he did actually see someone giving him thick woolen socks because his sister Ariana and his mom uh, used to make him woolen socks, which is very touching, and would make his answer truthful, which I like. Uh, I like that even though it's a super personal thing to ask someone, Harry shouldn't have been asking that, uh, that he still told the truth in a way, which I think is nice. But we do get another extended uh, edition scene here where Ron uh, comes up to Harry, who's like super distracted in the entrance hall, and he's trying to get him to come do stuff, like to play chess or go outside or whatever. But Harry's obsessed with the mirror and says no. And uh, Ron, like, warns him off from going back. Uh, at least I'm pretty sure this is an added scene. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched the theatrical version, but I, I don't think that's that's in it. Like, I am pretty sure this is added. Uh, anyways, uh, the line that Dumbledore says that it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live is a great line. I love it. We also get a dope uh, spring or winter to spring transition with Hedwig flying around. So like he, Harry takes Hedwig outside, she flies and it's winter, and then she comes, goes up and she comes back down and it's spring. It's great, and I like it. So in this part of the movie, we pretty much skip right to uh, the stuff about Norbert and the dragon. This is. Uh, sudden I guess because there's a lot of stuff that takes place between the book or like in the book between the mirror and then the dragon uh, I also don't think they ever mention in the movies that Norbert the dragon is actually a girl that gets renamed Norberta at the dragon reserve and in the movie they just randomly get in trouble like they just happen to get caught like as far as we know based on the movie they got in trouble for being at Hagrid's with a dragon like in the movie they don't tell us that they're out after curfew or anything like that they're just outside Draco sees them with a dragon then they get in trouble it's very unclear we're in the book Hermione and Harry get caught 
sneaking Norbert up to the astronomy tower to give him a, to a friend of Charlie Weasley's, who's they wrote to for him to take the dragon. And Neville gets caught uh, trying to go warn them that Draco snitched and that McGonagall's looking for them. Ron was not there because in the book he got bit by Norbert and he was in the hospital wing, get, hospital wing getting that treated. So Neville was the one who got detention and lost the uh, 50 points in the novel, not Ron. And uh, I also cannot look at Filch and not think of Walder Frey. He just gets me mad. I don't like thinking about Walder Frey because he sucks. Anyway, we get the detention scene uh, and Draco being an idiot because there are no werewolves in the Forbidden Forest, obviously, uh, especially since it isn't a full moon when they go. You would think he would know about werewolves because he's a pureblood, but instead he's just stupid. Uh, the forest scene itself is pretty accurate, other than Ron being there. He shouldn't, it should be Neville. Uh, and it is still cool and still a little spooky to this day as a 27-year-old man. It's still a little spooky. Though the Ferenz, Frenzy, I don't know how they pronounce that. I'm going to call them Friends. Effect is not great. It doesn't look too good. It's probably the worst of the like creature one we've seen so far. And also, how does Voldemort breathe when his face is always covered by a turban or a hood or whatever? Like, do they share breath? Because there's only one set of lungs, I guess. And rip the unicorn. R.I.P. in peace, my unicorn friend. So sad. Anyway. We skip right to the end of exams after the scene where they, uh, where Harry learns that Voldemort is drinking unicorn blood and stuff to live. Uh, yeah, we skip right to the end of exams and pretty much right to going to get the stone. So, like, in the book, it's just a lot of, like, I guess it's more world building and, and, and other information on stuff. It's just not really, not much gets cut of value, I think, as my memory serves. Uh, we learn that Hagrid messed up, and he told multiple people about music putting Fluffy to sleep. Obviously, all you gotta do is look up Orpheus, and you would know that as well. And then Harry and Snape have a marvelous, sassy staring contest before they go down the trapdoor, because McGonagall refuses to listen to them, which, like, teachers in this series are just stupid. They're just really dumb, and they would solve so many problems if they just weren't so dumb. So the tr everything under the trapdoor is mostly the same, I think, except uh, in the book, Hermione uses magic to get the devil snare off of them. Like, there's no relaxation bit. And there's a funny joke about uh, Hermione saying that she needs wood uh, to make a fire, and Ron is being like, you're a wizard, stupid. Good times. Uh, and in the book, they all fly to try and get the keys. It's not just Harry getting it. Uh, the potions riddle, there's a potions riddle in the book, that's gone completely. And there's also a troll trap, like another thing with a troll, which is also gone. Uh, so in the movie there's only three challenges before the mirror, it's the dog... The, okay, so, so three, not counting Fluffy. So yeah, uh, the devil snare, the keys, and then the chess. And in the book there's six after Fluffy, there's the devil snare, keys, chess, the troll, 
the potions. Okay, so there might only be five. Hold on. <laughs> so there's Fluffy, Devil Snare, they do the key thing, and it's the chess game, then it's a knocked out troll, then it's the potion. So okay, I guess there's just five. Still, <laughs> almost half of them are gone. In the book, too, uh, Harry does a dope flute solo to put Fluffy to sleep because Hagrid gives him a flute thing for Christmas. Uh, in the movie, they just arrive while Quirrell's harp spell is still going. Which, I mean, sure. It's it's easier. <laughs> Not doesn't really matter. And you get the part where Fluffy drools, which is fun. Everyone laughs at that. So, yeah. Uh, the chess scene is still really cool, and it looks incredible. I like that there's actually stakes, too. Like, by this point in the movie, Harry's injured, like, visibly. Ron gets injured, and Hermione looks a little worse for wear. So, like, you can see that this is serious. Uh, not serious, Black. <laughs> Pun. Um, <laughs> Harry getting the stone is mostly the same. Except, uh, in the book, Harry doesn't really see Voldemort escape as he passes out before Quirrell dies. Um... And in the, in the movie, he just watches it all and then passes out after. Also, Harry doesn't get sent a toilet seat in the movie, which is sad. Uh, Fred and George try to send him a toilet seat, and I like that. And then we get one last added scene. And again, I, I'm pretty sure it's added, but I'm not sure anymore. Like I said, it's been a long time since I watched the theatrical. But it's uh, Harry goes into the entrance hall, or the, yeah, the entrance hall. And he sees Ron and Hermione, and they ask every like they all make sure they're okay. They're like, "We we all good? Yeah." Then they go to the feast. Anyway, uh, movie ends mostly the same way. Uh, Dumbledore pulls a massive dick move with the house points at the closing feast. Like honestly, if you wanted to not be a dick, give them the points before the feast, like the day before, or something, so that you don't get the poor Slytherin kids' hopes up and then take them away. Like, no wonder they're all evil later. <laughs> uh, though Neville definitely deserved his points for standing up to his friends. And uh, Hagrid gives Harry his photo album, which he does in the book just a little bit earlier. Uh, they go back to London, the end. Movie done. Uh, so final thoughts on this movie. The first movie is a very enjoyable and faithful, albeit streamlined, adaptation. Uh, there are some things that are missed, as is always the case with adaptations, but compared to some of the other films and most other book-to-movie adaptations and other series, uh, it is not anything all that major that is removed from this one. It's, it's, it remains mostly faithful. Uh, the Ultimate Edition didn't really have that many additions, especially once they got to Hogwarts. Uh, most of the added scenes were pre-Hogwarts stuff. And... Uh, only one of the scenes, though, was like truly superfluous. I think the rest should have just stayed in because they, it didn't detract from anything. And I think, if anything, it added to the characters. Like, especially with the scene with that, the scene with Snape and stuff. It's, I don't see any reason why those were taken out. But uh, the movie, I think, completely holds up. It still has a lot of rewatch value today. And it gets you excited for more. Like, even after watching, I was like, okay, do I want to watch the next one right away? I didn't, but... I thought about it. Uh, overall, I think this one falls pretty much in the middle in my list of favorites, uh, as does the book. Because I think, it, for the most part, it kind of only gets better from here. 
I'd give this movie, I guess, an 8 or an 8.5 out of 10, probably. Uh, most things are detracted just because of, uh, I think, the speed at which it moves through, moves through things, or the, uh, the dated CGI kind of hurts it a bit. Where, like, a movie like Lord of the Rings, just as old, the, the CGI is not really as dated. It's, but uh, I think this is the best that you could get at this time uh, of this kind of adaptation. Like, it, this was as good as it was going to get of an adaptation of this book. Like, uh, most of the things that were removed were little minute details or world-building facts, which ultimately is important to the series, I think, but they're things that did not majorly add to the whole plot. Uh, things like Peas, the second Quidditch game, like things like that. There are things that you can understand why they are gone. The world-building stuff, it kind of becomes a fatal flaw of these movies where they cut little things that become very important later on and they try to stuff it in at the end, which is something I'll discuss as we get to those other movies. But I ultimately think this is probably as faithful as an adaptation we will ever get of The Philosopher's Stone unless they decide at some point to do a very expensive TV series where they just do a completely faithful adaptation or as close to that as they'll get, like the His Dark Materials show, which while not completely faithful, is very faithful. Uh, some critics complained about the kids acting, uh, but I feel like it's fine. I, and it, it certainly improves over the movie. And then by the second movie, I think they're all great. And like it, it, at that point, it doesn't even matter. Uh, and even if the acting isn't super strong at point, I think Dan is still super sassy. Uh, Emma gets across the required nerdiness, and Rupert is still goofy. Like it's all, it all comes across clearly. And there's like, it, you could argue that acting's weak at times, but it's never bad, which is better than it is for some child actors. Yeah. Yeah. The anyway, the the soundtrack is still amazing. The sets are still beautiful. The story is still enjoyable. Everything you could want. It's a well done movie. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it, but I'm sure most people have seen it at this point. Anyway, normally we'd be done, but like I said, I watched the special features for this because it's the Ultimate Edition, and um, each version of the Ultimate Edition comes with like a documentary on a certain aspect of the world. So for this one, uh, it is... The documentary, I guess, is called like Creating the World, there's other ones that are focused on, like, I think Prison of Azkaban's, like, the music of Harry Potter, and then one's, like, the creatures of Harry Potter, so on. Uh, the only other one I own of Ultimate Editions is Chamber of Secrets, so I'll be doing the same kind of thing for that one. I don't remember what Chamber of Secrets covers, but, yeah, so I watched the Creating the World special features. And I took some notes on fun facts from it or things that I learned, so things I didn't know at the time, like, that I didn't know, or I guess I just didn't remember. So, yeah, we'll start with this. So, the first thing I learned is that David Heyman, he began the process for making the movie in 1998. So, very soon after the book came out, which I didn't know. Uh, the first day of filming was September 29th, 2000. At that time, I lived in Edmonton. Just... Can you learn a little bit more about me? Uh, the first scene that they filmed was the very last scene of the movie where they say goodbye to Hagrid. And on that day, they discovered that Daniel Radcliffe was allergic to contact lenses. 
so they decided to use his blue eyes instead of Harry's green so initially he was wearing green contacts and uh, that is why there's a scene and it's a scene that's in the movie uh, at the very end where it looks like Harry is crying and that people just assume he's crying because he's leaving Hogwarts but it's just because his eyes uh, reacted poorly to the contacts and they were pink and weepy <laughs> Uh, they also filmed the arrival to Hogwarts on the Express on this first day, so at night they did that part of it. Also, another fun fact that I didn't know, uh, in this scene, that's so the ending scene where they're all saying goodbye, the first scene they shot, uh, Emma Watson is wearing fake teeth to give her the buck teeth look from of Hermione from the books, and they mentioned that you can hear it when she talks, like you can hear the that she has like something in her mouth. Uh, they ultimately thought that this didn't work, so for the rest of the shoot, they took them out, and it was just her normal teeth. Uh, and I'm pretty sure... So, uh, Emma, I believe, was the first of the main trio cast. Then Rupert and uh, Dan was the last and hardest to find. I did know this, but I thought it was an interesting uh, story. A little fun fact. So, they started looking for Harry in November of 1999, and they didn't find... Dan until July 2000 and uh, the reason why it took so long to find Harry is because apparently Daniel's parents didn't want him to do it they didn't want him to audition uh, even though pretty much every British kid ever was auditioning and they, they just didn't let him do it eventually they were convinced by David Heyman to let him audition uh, and it just happened by like circumstance that David was at a play I believe it was a play and uh, seated in front of them was Daniel Radcliffe and his parents and then he just, from there, managed to convince them to let him do it. Uh, Dan's screen test involved stuff, because you get to see a bit of it, involved stuff that wasn't in the film. Like So it was bits of the uh, script or screenplay, or maybe just the scenes especially written that, that wasn't in the movie. And I don't know if that's normal or not. I think, I guess maybe, like I know uh, George Miller... When he auditions, he uses, he doesn't audition people for roles. They just do like bits and pieces of something that's usually not the thing they're doing. And then he, he casts off that. So maybe they did something like that for this where they wrote a fake Harry scene or they had him do something from the books. I don't know. Uh, Robbie, Col Robbie Coltrane is who uh, J.K. Rowling had in mind for Hagrid. Like it's who she thought Hagrid should be and they decided to go with it. Uh, another fun fact is a lot of the kids very early on forgot to act when Columbus said action. Like, so he, they were filming the broom scene and they call action and only like half of them would start paying attention and acting and the other half just would keep doing whatever it was they were doing. <laughs> um, uh, we learned that the first two movies had the most locations. So they, they went to locations to film. Uh, the rest of the films were mostly on sets. So very few locations after that. Uh, because they just realized it was better to to make everything. Stuart Craig uh, is the production designer, and he was the very first hire. Like after the um, obviously like the producers and the director and stuff. And uh, when he designed everything, they used a layout of Hogwarts and Hog and Hogsmeade that uh, J.K. drew, and it was apparently a very big help because he was kind of stuck on what to do before that. Uh, another fun fact, uh, Stuart Craig felt that the outside of Hogwarts, like it, how it looked in the movie, in this one, was uh, overall a failure, partially due to the fact that they needed to use real locations, so nothing ever quite fit what 
they all had in mind for what Hogwarts would look like. Uh, and he, they improve it every movie to the point where he eventually gets it how he wanted it. Uh, da -da -da -da. We learned that Rad Daniel Radcliffe had to be told quite often to keep his head up when acting because uh, many times he'd talk with his head down and there'd be shadows on his face uh, so you couldn't like see anything right and uh, Rupert Grint had to be told to stop smiling a lot because he was always smiling. Uh, I, th I feel like at this point everyone kind of knows that J.K. Rowling told Alan Rickman secrets about Snape like really early on but uh, even before that Chris Columbus and David Heyman had to work very hard to convince Alan Rickman to do it. He didn't want to do it because he felt like he was being typecast and they eventually took him out for dinner and he said yes but it was apparently quite a task. Uh, this is something I didn't know, and it's also a fun fact that I think is quite funny. Uh, most of the scenes involving the kids were filmed by multiple different cameras at once, with one camera focused on each kid's face, at least, because they couldn't get full scenes in one take most of the times, and because of the time constraints of the kids having to go to school or having to do other stuff, they had to pick and choose from each take things to put together, which is why the first film, the first film, <laughs> has a lot of cuts in dialogue scenes because there were no, there, there was no one take where everything was right. So like, there could be a scene where they had a camera on Emma, and that's the only take where they got everything right for her, but they didn't get anything right for anyone else. So they had to splice it all together. For most scenes, uh, from multiple different cameras to make it work, and that's why it's so jumpy, which I didn't know. Uh, J.K. Rowling said that the kids didn't wear uniforms in the books. They just had their robes, and that was it. Uh, they decided to do uniforms in the movie because it was more graphically appealing. Like, they tried just having robes on over everyday clothes, and they, I guess they just didn't think it was really all that nice. Uh, so they went with the uniforms, which everyone like now famous. Richard Harris, fun fact, was David Heyman's godfather. And he was considered the perfect Dumbledore by all involved, but he also didn't want to do it. Uh, it took his granddaughter, Ella, telling him to take on the role or she would never speak to him again uh, before he agreed to do it, which is funny. Uh, the scene where Aunt Petunia um, comes out and there's all those owls looking at her. Apparently she had uh, mice dead mice hanging from her apron because the owls would not look at her otherwise they just kept looking around doing other stuff and they needed the owls looking at her for the scene I guess so they put mice on her apron which is I guess a fun fun fact I suppose uh, the Great Hall was the first major set built for the movies because uh, no real location they, they could find would work like nothing was big enough it was built to hold uh, they said 400 to 500 kids, but in the book, uh, the Great Hall is described as holding uh, about 900 kids. So even even after building it, it was still smaller than it was supposed to be, which is interesting. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe's favorite set from the first two movies, because they took this interview of him while he was filming the second, so I'm assuming it's the first two, was the giant chess set, uh, which was a real set they made with big pieces and stuff. Quidditch scenes were another thing they weren't overall happy with, that they ultimately, I guess, thought was a failure, and it was apparently a pain in the butt for them to do in the first movie. They also point out uh, 
the very noticeable signs of Daniel Radcliffe aging throughout the movie and mention that you can see it in different parts of the movie. So you can see parts where he looks older or his voice is quite a bit deeper. Uh, I watched the special features first and then the movie, so I went in knowing this and I looked for it. And there is scenes where his voice is like hella deep. So when he goes to talk to Hagrid about the music to put Fluffy to sleep, and during the chess scene, his voice is so much deeper uh, than it is at the beginning and at the the very last scene where they say goodbye uh, to Hagrid, which was, as I mentioned, the first scene they filmed. So you, if you go and watch it again, you can and you pay attention and you know this, like you can see that he is visibly older and you can hear that his voice is quite different. Uh, a part of this too is that they they had to rush through the the end of this and then they also had to rush pre-production for chamber secrets because chamber secrets was due to start and they were concerned that delaying for too long so extending if they had to extend philosopher's stone and delay chamber secrets they were concerned that the kids would become too old because they were already aging so quickly so uh, they said that the movie was released, so the release date for the movie hit, and then that Monday after the release, they started filming Chamber of Secrets. So they went into filming Chamber of Secrets before they even knew that the first movie was doing like well, which I think is, is very, very interesting. Yeah, that's the last thing of, of the special edition creating the world thing that I thought was particularly interesting or was something that I didn't know. Uh, but yeah, I, you can kind of tell, like, it, when you go and watch Chamber of Secrets, you can tell that they're all older, uh, especially Daniel Radcliffe, because his voice is much deeper at the beginning of Chamber of Secrets, but you can also see it a lot throughout the first movie, which I think is cool. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, that's everything that occurred to me as I watched it uh, that was different from the book and stuff. Like I said, I probably didn't catch everything, or I mean, I'd even messed up some things, because I've not read the book in in a while. It's been a, it's been a hot minute, but uh, I hope this was something that was enjoyable and and, and easy to listen to. Uh, I still have to do uh, parts of the Caribbean at World's End, and then Harry Potter Chamber Secrets will follow that, I presume. Unless for some reason I have a drive to watch Chamber Secrets before that. But they will both likely be the next two episodes that follow that follow this one. So I hope you enjoyed and that you come on back for more later on.